Okay, so Philippians 4, starting at verse number 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syncteche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you put something on my heart yesterday regarding these particular uh, verses. I ask you, Lord, help me to preach this message the way you want it to be preached. Let there be truth. Let there be passion and compassion. Let there be enlightenment by your spirit. Lord, this is going to be somewhat of a difficult subject, but we welcome your presence to speak to our hearts through this passage. Lord, in the process of preaching your word, we pray that you will be honored, you will be glorified, because it is your word. We want to do good with your word, but we also want to apply it to our lives. So let it bring hope and healing and direction to the body of Christ at this time. So we thank you for it and look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Chapter 4, Philippians 4, let me put it this way. We're coming down from, we're coming down to earth from the spiritual high of chapter 3. Let me put it this way. 3.20 says that we're citizens of heaven. I could picture all the Philippians were jumping around saying, hallelujah. And now in chapter 4, Paul is saying, okay, uh, therefore, now that you're citizens of heaven, now that your names are written in glory and all that good stuff, uh, in light of all of that, um, I have something to say to you. So he's going from the spiritual high to now bringing that into a reality of how to apply that to a situation in your own church. So verses 17 to 21, last week's message, just to recap that. Paul is saying, your, your residence, our residence is not really on earth, it's in heaven. We're awaiting the Lord's return. We've kind of distinguished ourselves apart from the false teachers that are trying to add to the work of the cross. And we're waiting for the transformation to happen of body and spirit. We're waiting for Jesus to come back again. That's a glorious thought. And we have to be thinking along those lines. We have to be living in that reality that our residence is not really here, it's in, it's in heaven. However, in saying all of that, um, he's saying to, to live, live here um, with, with the knowledge that our real residence is there, but you're living here. You're living in the midst of an unholy, unsanctified world but live in such a way, your citizenship is in heaven, but your feet are on the ground on earth. This is a reiteration of what Jesus said in John chapter 13, where he said at the Last Supper, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So it's one thing here to, ha to have our citizenship in heaven, to say we're a Christian and, and glory in that, 
But it's another thing to bring that knowledge and have it work through us in day-to-day life. You could say, this is where the rubber meets the road, actually. So Paul is reiterating this principle of John 13, love one another. But he says something interesting in Romans 12, 18. He says there, um, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And, um, but here in Philippians 4, 1, 2, and 3, he's specifically speaking to the church. He's saying, in a sense, he's saying, fulfill the great commandment to love one another so that you could fulfill uh, the great commission to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Is everyone following me today? Are you with me today? Let me, let me just shake your head yes or no. If I need to be clearer, I'll, I'll try to be clearer. And this is just the introduction, so bear with me. So if we're going to fulfill the great commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we must be familiar with the great commandment to love one another. So we could say this, before we go out and conquer the world for Christ, we've got to have love within the body of Christ. How does that sound? That sounds feasible? I mean, that that sounds like what he's saying, right? Before you go out there to do this, you must have love here. We had a membership class on Thursday. Uh, it's not too late for membership, by the way. If anyone's interested, let me know. But uh, we had a great class. So those of you that were there, thank you for coming. It was wonderful. But one of the things we talked about in the doctrines of the Assemblies of God is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is basically threefold. The mission of the church is to evangelize the lost. It's to create an atmosphere where humanity, where people can worship God. And it's also a place where people can be taught the word of God. Threefold purpose of the church. To evangelize the lost, create an atmosphere where people can worship God, and a place where people can learn, be fed the word of God. And I, I think we're doing that as far as our church goes, by the way. And you think about it, where else can people go to worship God? I mean, you could go to the park or to the beach, but corporately, you come to a place of fellowship to worship God. Anyway, I think what Paul's getting at here, and what the Holy Spirit is getting at here, we can't do that if there's not genuine love within the body of Christ. We can't be effectively ministering the love of God to the lost if there's not the love of God at work within the local body of Christ. So, without the love at work, we can never accomplish what God wants us to do. Every effort will be thwarted or negated or hindered in some way because the main thing is not being addressed at home. So, in Luke, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to go through this verse by verse as we do, and then we're going to make application. I've entitled the message today, Peace in the Church. And everybody said, amen. those of you online, write down amen in your comments. Come on, I want to check it out later. But he says, let's go through verse number one. He says, therefore, you know, therefore, remember when he wrote this, there wasn't a designation of chapters and verses. It was one big manuscript. But in other words, because of what I just wrote to you about your citizenship in heaven and hallelujah, everything's good. And and now Paul, in my estimation, wisely and uh, kindly describes the church of Philippi. But he says, my beloved, my longed for brethren, my joy and my crown. 
And I think he's saying that in anticipation of what he's going to say after that. So he's basically kind of setting them up in a way to receive a word of instruction. But he says, so therefore, because you're, you're citizens of, of heaven, right? Your, your names are written down. You are my beloved. I love you. And you have to think, maybe, you know, like, if you ever have something really heavy to tell somebody, you, you preface it by saying, I really love you, but, you know. But I think Paul is saying, I love you. If you go back to chapter 1, um, I love this part of it. But chapter 1, look at verse number 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with, with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now, confident that he who started a good work in you will complete it. It's right for me to think this way of you because I have you in my heart as well as in my chains in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are here with me. You're partakers with me. So he loves these people. Which is how it should be. He loves these people. But he says, my beloved, my longed for brethren. If you go over to chapter 1 verse 8. He says, God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I want to see you. I want to spend time with you. I want to have fellowship with you. You're in my heart. You're in my mind. And he says, you're my joy and my crown. He's laying it on pretty heavy, wouldn't you say? You are my joy and my crown. You're my, what he's saying is you're, you're my purpose. You're my delight. You're my happiness. You're my fulfillment. You, you are why I exist, basically. I've given my life to serve God. I'm pouring into you, and I love you. You're my joy, and you are my crown. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 says this. What is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? In other words, Paul is saying, you are my crown of rejoicing. My joy is having you ready to meet Jesus when he comes back. And so I could say that as a pastor, this is my joy. This is my purpose. This is my function to pour into the body of Christ. It's an honor to do what I do. I am blessed to do this. But you are my joy and my crown. I I hope we all see each other in glory. And I'll say, hey, I remember you down in Haverhill. (laughs) But see, you are are my joy. But see, see, the relationship is very rich, very full. So Paul loves this church. He's citizens of the citizens of heaven, but brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so, so he says, you're my crown. You're my, you're my purpose. And he's telling them, look, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Don't let things rock you, shake you, uh, take you off track. But stand fast in God. Can I say that to the church? I know some of you are going through difficulties. I know that. I feel that for you. I feel that with you. There might be a better way to say it. But listen, what can I say? Stand fast in the Lord. Drop the anchor. Right? Get situated. And, and I don't know, like I, I have a little problem with some of the things I hear on, on some of the Christian uh, you know, ministries where you're not going to have a problem again. I don't really believe that. God will help you through your problem. Just stand fast. You know, stand fast. To the Galatians, Paul said, 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and don't be sub, don't subject yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go backwards, go forward. Stand fast. To the Corinthians, he says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith and be strong. It's a little pep talk right here. To the Thessalonians, he said, stand fast and hold to the tradition taught by us, either by word or by letter. In other words, we, we spoke to you in person and we wrote the letter, the, 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 the you know, letter to the Thessalonians. Stand fast in that, in the traditions that we've told you about. To the Romans, he said, be steadfast in the faith. And to Romans, the author wrote there, hold fast our confession. Can I tell you, church, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this much. No matter what's going on in your life, hang on to Jesus Christ. Drop your spiritual anchor. Don't let the world pull you away. And don't let, how can I say, don't let mean Christians affect you negatively. Don't let the body of Christ, the, 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 the ones that are struggling, affect you. I mean, we can see right here, there's a problem in this church between these two ladies. He's saying, look, and, and go look at chapter 2, verse number 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. There are going to be issues, but you stand fast. You take care of yourself. Don't let the enemy get a stronghold or a foothold in your life. So Philippians 4.1, stand fast in the Lord. Get on the rock of Christ and stay there. Hallelujah. Don't move. Stay put. So putting chapter 3 with 4.1, your eyes are, you know, you're citizens of heaven and hallelujah. But now on earth, it's not going to be so easy. And think about this. If you remember the, the passage, there's two ladies having a problem. Well, Paul's all the way in Rome. How did he hear about this problem over in Philippi? It was a long distance away. My take on that is, it must have been a pretty big problem to get to Paul's ears. Two ladies arguing, bickering, not getting along in the church. It affected the whole shooting match. And Paul's saying, you know what? This stuff's going to happen. But you stand fast. Don't get discouraged when these things happen. You can almost kind of predict it's going to happen. But, but you, you just stand fast. Don't leave. Don't go crazy. Don't do anything. You stand fast. And, and remember, he said, I love you. I long to see you. You're my joy and my crown. It would be a crying shame to leave now. But stand fast in the Lord, he says. So, verse number two. I implore... How would you like to have your name in the Bible in this situation? I mean, it's not the most positive light, but he's calling these ladies. He's speaking directly to them. He's not just saying, oh, there's a couple of ladies in your church you've got to take care of. No, he's saying, there's Yodia and there's Sintiche. Obviously, they knew who we meant and he knew them. But I urge you, I urge you, these two ladies, be of the same mind in the Lord. Two sisters called by name. I beseech you. I beg you. I encourage you. I plead with you. Get on the same page. Be of the same mind. Think the same. Uh, put your heads together. Work this thing out. And uh, he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. 
he's not talking about being the same mind of how you, how you knit clothes or how you bake food. He's talking about the things of God. Be the same mind in the Lord, in the Lord's work. Get on the same page together in the things of God as Christian people. As, get this, as citizens of heaven, work it out on earth is what he's saying. Sisters in Christ seize the obligation from John 13, which Paul is basically reiterating, love one another, and seize the responsibility to follow Christ and die to yourself and lift up somebody else. You've heard the saying before, some people are so uh, spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. You ever hear that? So spiritually minded, they know everything there is about the word of God, but they're no earthly good because they don't apply it to themselves. Now, I don't know if that was the case here, but Paul's saying, look, you're your citizens in heaven. You can work this thing out, whatever. And we don't even know what the problem was. So you're citizens of heaven, but you're not acting like it on earth. Put, he's saying, basically, put your spirituality to work. Put your faith into action. Put your Christianity on the line and apply what you know. In other words, making others more important than yourselves. And then he goes into verse number three. And verse number three needs a little bit of discussion because it's a little unclear to whom he's speaking at this moment. But he says, I urge you also, true companion. Well, if you go to chapter one, verse one, he's writing, Paul and Timothy are writing to the church of Philippi, plural, the, uh, the overseers and the deacons. So I don't think he's referring to everybody, because this is in the singular. I urge you also, true companion. But if you look back into chapter 2, most people, most scholars will say that he's referring to a certain individual in the church. It's the individual whose name I have a hard time pronouncing. Epaphroditus. But I think I got it now, but I better not say that. But look at chapter 2, verse 25. I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, that I should have sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness. Hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death. Not regarding his life uh, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So most people think that Paul was speaking to this person to go minister to Yodia in Syncteche. I kind of agree with that. It makes more sense. I just wish that Paul put his name right there, but he didn't. But I urge you, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement. Who's Clement? Clement is, this is the only time Clement is mentioned in the Bible. There's another Clement in church history that comes after uh, Peter's uh, being a bishop in Rome, but Clement was down the line in, in the, on the timeline. But Clement was a, obviously a faithful worker, a minister w- with, uh, with Paul. And uh, also he says, and with the rest of my fellow workers, 
So he's saying, he's calling upon the leaders and the church, help these women get along. And uh, he mentions those fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And I think Paul is simply tying in some eschatology here uh, from chapter 3, you're citizens of heaven. In chapter 4, your names are written in the book of life. There's a connection there. That's on the other side. But what he's saying is, get some people that know, that know Christ and are serving the Lord and that can really work this thing out. If we were to go to Revelation chapter 20, which we won't have time to get into right now, but uh, Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne room, the great white judgment, when everyone will stand before the Lord and be judged, either yea or nay. And it says in verse 15, Revelation 20, 15, those whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. So Paul's saying here, get some people whose names are written down. They're serving, they're serving the Lord. They're citizens of heaven. They're working it out, walking it out on earth. Get some of these people and help these ladies get along in their faith. And notice that it says that, uh, verse number three, um, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. These were no nobodies. They, they were somebodies in the church. They labored with Paul. They were good workers. They were valuable, good people, servants of the Lord. And uh, note also here, church structure. Paul is saying, you know, get the leaders to get involved. Let there be some, some assistance to help these people get going and to work this out. Kind of reminds me of Acts chapter 6. When there were some uh, grumblings in the church because the uh, Hellenistic widows were not getting their fair share of the distribution of goods. And um, John and Peter said, you know what, get, get some people to help them uh, that are filled with wisdom, filled with a, a good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit. Get some people to help work that situation through. So he's saying in verse number three, I urge you, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Talk with them, pray with them, meet with them counsel them. Help them work this out. And I think Paul is grieved that this is even happening, but he's not sweeping it under the carpet. Proverbs eleven fourteen says that um, there's a, uh, within a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. So Paul is saying, you know what? Get some people. Go minister to those ladies and help them work out their problems. Are you with me, church? So, Peace in the church. Come out of the clouds. Come out of your lofty position. And yes, your names are written down in glory in the Lamb's book of life. But deal with the situation here at earth, on earth. I like that word. Good word. And we're, we are to be spiritually minded. I'm not saying we're not supposed to be spiritually minded, but... If we're spiritually minded, we will also be earthly minded in the sense of working out difficulties. So I want to give you three things to think about today. And uh, I don't think this will be difficult, although point number two may take a little bit longer than the other two points. The first point is this. If we want peace in the church, if you want peace in the church, we really have to believe, first of all, that it's possible. So many people have been hurt scarred, maligned through the church, through ministers, 
through Christian people, some people might think that is never going to be possible. But I want to tell you, we have to believe that it is possible. My thought is, the Prince of Peace is the Lord of His church. It's His church. It's His body. But the Prince of Peace is the one who is the Lord of His church. And the church, according to 1 Timothy 3, is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And the truth is, uh, the truth will make us free, but the point is, do you believe in all of that? Do you believe that the Prince of Peace can and does bring peace to his church, his body? Do you believe that he wants peace in his body? Absolutely. And when peace and respect and unity are evidenced in the local body of Christ, that church becomes effective. And when that's not happening, that church is not so effective. He says in chapter one, uh, verse number 1, chapter 4, verse 1, You're my beloved, you're my longed-for brethren, you're my joy and my crown. Um, you're all special people. You're all good people. You're all sinners saved by grace. You're, you're on a path of serving God, all imperfect, all striving to do better. Philippians 2.12, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But can we function... As a church that lives in peace, I say, yes, we can. And the reason I say that is because we serve a God of the impossible. And many people will say, it's impossible to do that here on earth. And I'm going to say, wait a minute. The Prince of Peace is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the God of the impossible. Now, don't, don't mis, mishear me. I'm not saying peace is perfection. I don't think we're ever going to reach perfection here until Jesus, Jesus comes to take us. But we can live in peace among brothers and sisters here. I want to give you three scriptures that talk about the peace or, or, the, or the power of God in an impossible situation. And you discern in your own heart if that could be applied to this topic. But in Luke one thirty seven, the angel comes and talks to Mary. Tells her she's going to have a baby. And she says, I've never been with a man. How could this be? And the angel says, well, with, with, with God, all things are possible. And my point is, if God could make a virgin girl pregnant with the Son of God, can he not bring peace into the church that he established? He's the Prince of Peace. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men when Jesus was born. But, but in that setting, it was Mary that said, how could this happen? Well, the angel said, with God, all things are possible. In Mark ten twenty seven, we won't turn to these in Mark 10, 27, the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus said in that setting, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And the apostle said, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Even rich people can get saved. But with God all things are possible. In Matthew 17, 20, you know this passage. If, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move, and it will be moved. And nothing will be impossible for you because you have faith in the God that does the impossible. So can we have peace in the church? Yes. In this setting, Jesus died for Yodia, Sintiche. His blood covered their sin. His blood redeems them, redeems us. And I think he wants to fix the problems in his church. Well, a couple of things have to be in operation here. 
People have to be willing to flow with the Spirit of God. He is willing. People have to be willing. If there, if there is to be peace in the church, people have to be willing to give and take. So, if there's ever an issue in the church and you happen to be in the middle of it, I would give you these guidelines. Be humble. Be mature. Be respectful towards one another. Uh, respect protocol. Respect the, the spiritual authority God has put over you in the local church. So, number one, if, if we believe it's possible, we do believe it's possible to have peace in the church regardless of your personal church history or, or all the nightmares you may have heard or how big or how small the issue is, there can be peace in the church when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is the Lord of the church. So, I don't know what happened with Yodia and Syntyche, doesn't say. But I think the church of Philippi was and remained a very strong body of believers because they had good leadership, that's one thing, but they had the Holy Spirit guiding them through these issues. So point number one is, let's believe there can be peace in the church. That doesn't mean it's just going to happen, because number two is, if there's to be peace in the church, we've got to follow the plan. You know there's a plan some of you are saying, what's the plan? The plan is what Jesus taught about on this subject. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. I don't know if I'll give you 10 seconds, but I'll give you a few seconds. Matthew 5. And I want to start reading um, at verse number 20. Follow the plan. You know, Jesus addressed all these issues during his ministry on earth. This is taken from the Sermon on the Mount. And um, almost as though he was anticipating these issues coming up. But in Matthew 5, verse 20, he says this. I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, or crazy person, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, if you're in the middle of worshiping God, even bringing an offering or praising God, if you remember something, it says, leave your gift before the altar and go to your brother and, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on your way, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. What he's saying in all of that is when you realize there's a problem with someone, don't bury it under the rug, but go speak to them. Address the issue. Go talk to them. Be agreeable that you can work out whatever the problem is. Um, okay, let's go over to Matthew 18 because it goes a little bit deeper than that. In Matthew 18... Jesus is teaching. 
and 18, verse 15, he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. This is reiterating chapter 5. If there's an issue, go talk to them. If you explain it and you discuss it and you work it out, you gain the brother. It's all good. That's how it should be. But verse 16, but if he will not hear, take with you two or more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. In other words, get some people from the church or get some other Christians to help you know, go with you and work it out, talk it out. And then verse number, uh, verse number 18, uh, verse number 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, uh, get other people from the church, maybe the leaders. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So I think what Paul, what Paul is getting to in Philippians 4, he's calling upon Epaphroditus, Clement, other workers, go help these ladies get along with each other, work out the situation. Sit down, talk about it, pray about it, hear one another. And here's, here's, a, here's a great piece of advice. If someone gives you an apology... Receive it. I've had some, sometimes, uh, you have to receive the, but then someone will say, well, yeah, but you, yeah, right, they did, but they're apologizing. Just receive the apology. Receive the apology. Or if you need to give an apology, it's like sometimes saying the words, I'm sorry, it's like pulling out wisdom teeth without any medical care. It's, it's like so difficult to say, I'm sorry. Like, what's the matter? Can't you just say, I'm sorry? You know, I, I've been dealing with this like with a long time. I mean, I see it in myself sometimes. Why, why can't we just say, I'm sorry? You know, back in the, way back in the day, there was a, well, you probably don't even remember this movie, but there was a movie, and the theme of the movie was, love means never having to say you're sorry. That's a lie right there. Love means always having to say you're sorry. That's what you do when you're in love. You want to make things right. The name of the movie was Love Story, by the way. But that, that's not the love I know. But yeah, why, why can't we say that? You know, so the point of it is, if there's a problem in the church, well, let's keep it here. It's a, there's a problem in the church. We're not talking about a problem with a non-believer. Although there could be application. We're talking about a problem in the church. So the first part is to believe it could be worked out. You go in with faith. And number two, follow the plan. What's the plan? You know what the plan is? Don't put it on social media. <laughs> Hello? Don't talk to your neighbor about it. Don't talk to everybody in the world about it but the person that you're dealing with. That's the wrong way to do it. The plan is go to, follow the words of Jesus. Follow what Jesus said. Go to the person and talk it out. If it doesn't work, get somebody to help you. If that doesn't work, get some leaders of the church to help you. Sit down and you talk it out. That's the plan. And I, I would say, you know, sometimes maybe there may be a, a situation. I heard a, a preacher last week, a friend of mine. I was listening to his sermon. He, he was talking about emails that he got over the years. They're really mean to the pastor. I'm thankful I don't, never got a mean email. So don't be the first one, please. But he was saying, you know what, we, we, made, we met, we made things up and everything. But he said, you know what, I walk on this side of the street and he walks on that side of the street and I wave at him. But we don't have fellowship anymore because there's too much pain and hurt. We're all, we're all forgiven, but we just go on a different path. We're still serving God, but we go on a different path. 
But anyway, part of the plan, another part of the plan is in Colossians chapter 3. You could turn to it if you want. Colossians 3, 13. It says to bear with one another. Oh, you mean we're not all perfect yet? Oh, pastor, I thought you were perfect. Talk to my wife about that. She'll, she'll set you straight real quick. But bear with one another. It says forgive one another. Really? I have to forgive the pastor. I have to forgive the leader of the. I have to forgive the leader of that ministry that hurt me. I have to forgive somebody that said something or did something. Yeah, that's what it says. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against you, forgive them. Here's the clincher: as Christ forgave you, so you must do. So who puts us above? You know, above anybody. We're all forgiven. We're all saved by grace. And so what, what, is, what we're getting at, follow the plan. The plan is we're all a work in progress from the top down. And so we don't talk about each other. We talk to each other. When there's an apology given for the sake of God, for the greater good, receive the apology. You know, if the apology is given, receive it, or you have to give an apology, say you're sorry. Do it for the glory of God, for the betterment of the church. Colossians 3.13, forgive each other. So, I think of some examples in the Bible. You know these. Paul and Barnabas had a big problem. They split company, you know. They had such a sharp dispute over John Mark, Barnabas's cousin or relative and and they they didn't see eye to eye they split company both serving the lord but they just walked on different sides of the street later they reconciled peter and paul had a problem because peter was one way before the elders got there to up in galatia eating with the gentile believers but when the leaders came uh, he he kind of shunned them and paul called them out they had a they had a problem but you know they worked it out I'm just saying there's a way to work things out. Now, if you want to go the way of the world, man, that's when violence happens. You read the news today. You see all the violence. Why? People are trying to settle the score in a worldly manner. It doesn't work. More often than not, it ends up bad. Someone gets hurt either emotionally, psychologically, or physically. A lot of violence, a lot of murder is because of the unresolved conflict. But we in the church, we have a different plan to follow. It's a serious plan. But when the Lord, when Jesus said, when you have a problem with someone, you go and talk to them, that puts the fear of God in some people because they don't like to talk to people. It's easier to talk about people. But the Lord says, you talk to them. You're a child of God. If you want to get spiritual, remember, you're a citizen of heaven. Your name's written in the book of life. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Why can't you go meet with someone? You can if you just resign yourself to it. But follow the plan. Okay, let me give you the third piece to this. Peace in the church. Okay, to believe it can happen and to follow the plan that the Lord has established. Number three is to stay in the love of Christ. We sang a song earlier, standing in your love, you know, stand in the love. But I want to encourage everyone to, to stand in the love of Christ. John 13, I'll say it again. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Could you imagine some of those fishermen rough around the edges? 
You picture Peter elbowing somebody. You want me to love him? Yeah. You love him. And the way you love each other, the world will see that and recognize you belong to me. What does the world think, anyway, about all this? You put stuff on social media or in the public view somehow, some way. You know, the church doesn't need bad press. The church needs good press. And so, anyway, stay in, in love, in the love of Christ. Love is the key to the whole thing. If the love of Christ is burning within us, we'll be more apt to live out that love with other people. But Ephesians 4.15, great little scripture. Speak the truth in love. You can say whatever you want to say, but when you say it in love, it softens the blow. It's how you say it. It's your intonation. It's the look on your face. It's your attitude. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You could say, I'm sorry, like this. I'm sorry. And guess what? You're not sorry, and they know you're not sorry. But if you speak the truth in love, like, you hurt me, or, you know, what you said really bothered you. It's how you say it. But stay in the love of Christ. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to wrap this up with this passage. 1 Corinthians 13 is a great passage of Scripture. It's most often read at weddings. Like Psalm 23 is most often read at funerals. They weren't designed that way. It's just culturally what happened. But 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse number 4, this is what I'm saying. Stay in the love of Christ. So in order to do this, I think we have to go back to our own salvation. Do you remember where you were or how you were when you got saved? Personally, I was no bargain. I was desperate for God. I was desperate for something. I didn't even know what. But God loved me. And God used a couple, my friend Lenny, which you all know about, to lead me and Pamela to the Lord. God used people through, they loved us. These people loved us. They showed the love of Christ. That's what got me. They accepted us as raw as we were at the time. They accepted us and sat down and talked to us. And, and Lenny, Lenny spoke some pretty harsh reality to me about my life and my thinking and stuff. You know what he said. Rick, man, you got to get right with Jesus. He said it flat out. He wasn't pulling any punches. He's, whatever, whatever you want to say. Rick, you got to get right with Jesus. That's the, that's the bottom line. And so, yeah, so, but love is the key. But look, look at this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long. Some translations say love is patient. Man, right there, right there, there's something to say. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, so they say. Either was a solid Christian, really. Be patient with one another. If you think you've arrived, think again. But be patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kind. Sometimes we Christians forget that we're called to be kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's not proud. It's not arrogant. It's not mean-spirited. It can't be. It's an oxymoron. That, That cannot exist with Christ. Love does not behave rudely. Boy, what a passage for this. Isn't this perfect? Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and it thinks no evil. 
Man, some people have, have other people judged and hung without even knowing what's going on. They think they know and they don't know. And in their mind, they're already condemned and put away somewhere, you know. But, but, but it says love, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't it's, not, it's not evil. It doesn't, it's not provoked like that. It doesn't rejoice in sin. It rejoices in the truth. And verse 7 always got me, but love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So in other words, there's nothing anyone can do that can't be resolved if you have the right mind and right heart about it. It bears everything. It believes things. I've been accused of being gullible all my life. And you know what? It's because it's true. I am gullible. I'll believe somebody until I have reason not to believe them. Sometimes people will say to me that whatever, they know something, but they really don't know. They just think they know. But the Word of God says, you know what, we're, we're to believe all things. Until you know otherwise, why do you want to judge somebody based on what you think instead of what you know? But love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. That's why point number one is so important. Can there be peace in the church? You have to believe that there can be. I hope that there can be. I believe that there can be. And endures all things. You know, that part there, enduring all things, that's where we become mature. That's where we grow up. That's where we recognize there's issues and problems, but you know what? I'm going to endure this because Christ is in my heart. I can get over this. And verse number 8, come on, love never fails. Love never fails. So what I'm saying is, stay in the love of Christ. Love each other. Yodia and Sintiche, we don't know what happened to them. Hopefully their issues were resolved. I'll close with this scripture from Hebrews 10.25 where the writer says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but encourage one another, especially as you see the day approaching. So if there's conflict or issues in the church, you can't, as my mom would say, you can't stay home and eat worms. Come into the house Figure it out. Work it out. I mean, the problem we have today, to be honest with you, the problem we have today, if there was only one church in Haverhill, we'd have, we wouldn't have a problem. We have a lot of churches, and every community has a lot of churches. In other words, you don't like this when you go to that one. You, it's unresolved here, you go over there. Then a little bit later, that's unresolved, you go over there, and it's just a round and round and round and round circle, and things don't ever get resolved, and we never follow the plan. It would be better just to stay put and work it out for the glory of God and for your own maturity and your own betterment. I like that Hebrews 10, 25. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, but get together to encourage one another, especially as you see the day approaching. And can't you just feel, I don't know about Philippians 4, maybe there too, but can't you feel what I'm talking about is maybe the result of spiritual oppression and spiritual, uh, a spiritual uh, attack of the enemy that's trying to destroy the work of God? Can you feel that? Why would there be a need for this unless an enemy was coming to destroy what God has started? Is it flesh? It could be flesh, too. Yeah, that's part of it. But underneath the flesh, there's a spiritual element that wants to destroy the work of Christ. John 10.10, the thief has come to kill, rob, and destroy. You know it as much as I know it. Many times it happens in a church. And people get discouraged and hurt and burned or whatever. And I'm saying, you know what? If that happens to you, 
Talk to somebody. Don't just pack up and leave. Talk it out. And if, if you can't be resolved, leave peacefully with the pastor's blessing. That happens too sometimes. That's okay, but leave peacefully. Don't do damage to the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God, destroying the kingdom of darkness. But when we allow these things to happen, we're bolstering the kingdom of darkness and negating the kingdom of God. So continue to fellowship and to work it out for God's glory. Let's stand together if we can. So can you see what I'm talking about? I'm preparing this message yesterday. I'm thinking, Lord, last week we're on the mountaintop. Citizens of heaven. Everyone loves that one. And now we have to live it out here on earth. Now we're in reality, you know. (laughs) This is it. This is it. So peace in the church. It is possible. There is a plan to follow. But let's stay in the love of Christ. Amen? Amen. Stay in the love of Christ. I would say, you know, I don't know, keep it simple. Get back to basics. Haven't asked you this in a a while. I asked online. You don't have to answer me. Don't answer me now, but that early morning prayer time is really special. That helps more than anything to start your day alone with God, Alone from this, just get with God. However much time you could have, give God some time. Let him prioritize your thinking for the day. Every day I pray, Lord God, fill me today with the Holy Spirit. Baptize me today with the Holy Spirit. I need you today. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know something's going to happen. And I need you to guide me and to help me through every single day. Every single day. I pray that every single day. And that helps navigate the waters that we're in. I I will close with this. I do believe that we are living in those last days of perilous times when the enemy wants to destroy the work of God. But like I said before, the enemy, evil is rising, but the grace of God is rising more. Stay with the grace of God. So we want to read verse number one as we close out here. So can you read it with me? Therefore, my beloved, and long for, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. One more time. Therefore, my beloved, and long for, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Every head bowed for just a moment. I think it goes without saying, but if we are to have peace in the church, we must have peace with God first. So I wonder if there's somebody that needs peace with God right now. You may not even be a Christian, or you may be a Christian, but you may be going through a lot of spiritual confusion and warfare, and you desperately need peace with God. Anyone like that? Raise your hand if that's you. Don't be ashamed. All right? All right, good. Father, I want to pray for those that need peace with you. Lord, your word says we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. Lord, I pray, we pray, Lord, that the peace of God would be real in our hearts. That the confusion some of us feel from the world or from our flesh would be put under the blood of Jesus. And that we would sense the Prince of Peace, 
being the ruler of our lives. And we thank you for that. Hallelujah. I wonder if anyone here needs to have peace with your family. Right? Sometimes those are the most difficult relationships. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for peace within our families. Husbands, wives, parents, children, grandparents, uh, grandchildren. We pray for the peace of God to flood everyone's heart, everyone's soul, in the name of Jesus. I wonder if someone would say, Lord, we need peace in the church. Father, we do pray for peace in the church. I believe it could happen, Lord. I see it in, in Scripture. I see the plan that you put before us to follow. And I pray, Lord, we would stay in your love. And I pray, Lord, for those within this body, those here, those online, those that call this their church home, that there would be peace within this body of believers. There would be a sense of respect and honor towards one another, that we would esteem others more valuable, more precious than ourselves. We pray, Lord, as we live this way, as we live in the love that you have for us, Lord, we pray that this love would overflow this fellowship and be spilled out onto the streets and that it would be attractive to the unsaved that are looking for an answer. We pray, Lord, that soon, maybe during this summer, Typically in New England, summer's not the greatest time for church, but with you, Lord, all things are possible. May this sanctuary be filled up with hungry hearts that need a relationship with you. Father, we pray that we would fulfill our mission as a church to evangelize the lost, to create an atmosphere of worship, and to feed the body of Christ. We pray, Lord, that this place would be filled to capacity with hungry hearts that recognize their need of a Savior and their need of a body of believers. So we thank you, Lord. We pray your blessing over every aspect of our ministries, over our in-house services, over our live streams, over our Zoom meetings. We just pray, Lord, that everything we'll do will bring glory and honor to you and that you will supply all that we need to go forward. We thank you, Lord. May your blessing be upon uh, this holiday weekend. Um, May our homes be safe. May our times of fellowship be good and healthy. And uh, may we remember to keep in prayer these United States of America. So we thank you, Lord, for all these things. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Um, Thank you, church. I'm going to go to the door to greet you as you go. Uh, Alan, could you be available if anyone needs prayer? Just make yourself available here.